Hi, friends. My name is Michael Bowman, and welcome to the Christchurch Podcast. So I have, I have a story that I want to tell you today about the Apostle Paul. Some of you may have heard it before, but others of you may not have. And I'm going to retell a story out of the book of Acts. If you have a Bible or like following along in these kinds of things, they're going to be in Acts 17. You can just follow along in my retelling of this story. I promise it's not going to be different than the one that you are going to be reading there. <laughs> but the story goes like this. Paul has made his way to the city of Athens. He's been traveling around the Mediterranean, bouncing from city to city. He's preaching the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, He's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah that we have been waiting on. He's setting up and planting churches, and um, he's barely escaping riots with his life. Something. If you've never noticed this before in the book of Acts, you will now, uh, after I tell you this. You, you, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I do know. If you study Acts at all, you'll see that everywhere Paul goes, I'm pretty sure everywhere, if not almost everywhere Paul goes, there ends up being some kind of riot. It, just follow Paul around and you will find a riot. And he's escaping each one kind of by the skin of his teeth. So this is what's been going on as Paul makes his way to Athens. And upon getting there, we're told that he's waiting on his buddies Silas and Timothy to join him. So while he's waiting, as as any normal person might do when they come to a new city or a new town, he starts walking around. And he's kind of taken in the sights, right? Like he's looking around to see where the good food is. What's going on? What is this? What is the culture of this city like? What what brings it to life? What makes it different from other places? He's he's just kind of checking things out and walking around the city as he waits for Silas and Timothy to join him. And it doesn't take him long until he realizes that there are idols and statues depicting various gods and goddesses as well as temples to serve as places of worship for specific gods and goddesses all over the place. I mean, they're, they're like Starbucks or like a Walgreens. I mean, they're on every single corner, right? <laughs> Religion is ingrained into the culture and the society that makes up the city of Athens. But Paul... Because this is what Paul does. I mean, this is what he does in every single city. He first seeks out and finds the synagogue in town. And that is where he will he will set up shop, if you will. So Paul does what he always does. He finds the synagogue. He he preaches that Jesus Christ, Jesus from Nazareth, was the Messiah that our scriptures, or that is the Jewish scriptures, um, 
prophesied was coming. Uh, he tries to prove it, and he debates with the people in the synagogues, uh, the Jewish people there, about Jesus being the Messiah. And then what he often does is after he spends time in the synagogue, preaches from their scriptures, shows or proves rather that Jesus was the coming Messiah and is now risen from the dead, he leaves the synagogue and he goes from there to the city centers or the marketplaces, and he shares about Jesus with the people there. So he starts with the Jewish people, and then he goes to what we call, or at least scripture calls, the Gentiles, right? Starts with the Jewish people and then goes to everywhere else. This was his custom. This was his form of ministry. So this is what Paul's doing in Athens, like normal. Yet here's the thing. What's interesting about this story um, from Acts 17 is that Luke, who we presume to be the author of both, both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke finds it necessary to name some of the people that Paul is talking with. And before you begin to wonder, because I know, you know, we're about almost five minutes into this episode. Yes, I promise I'm going to get to this whole idea of God's presence. Okay, I promise we're making our way there. Luke tells us that Paul is interacting with some people known as the Epicureans and some people known as the Stoics, of which some of the Stoics, by the way, were philosophers, or for our conversation today, we're going to call them academics, if that might be helpful. So we got Epicureans, Stoics, and then some academics, okay? Now, if I could, let me, let me help us understand who these people were, and I'll do it as briefly as possible. The Epicureans believed that there were gods and all, but that these gods or goddesses, they existed, you know, just way out there, far away from humans. This is an early form of deism. They would say that we are simply to live our life without any kind of reference to the gods or to the goddesses. Like, like it just doesn't really matter. In short, and, and for us, though, I think it's helpful, they would not believe in the presence of any god. Um, instead of presence, absence would be a better word. Absence would be maybe the best way to describe their belief of the gods and goddesses. So that's the Epicureans. Now, Stoics are completely the opposite. Stoicism is a form of what we call pantheism. See, the Stoics believe that God and the world are the same thing, essentially that the universe itself is God and that everything in it has one substance, you know, one being. Um, helpful maybe for us, for our sake today, the Stoics would think that God's presence would be pretty natural, right? Because God was everything. Everything was God. So God's presence was then everything. It was everywhere. Now, the letdown for Stoicism or for the Stoics is that, you know, this really doesn't help us when it comes to the problem of evil. It doesn't give us any way of thinking about that or processing that. It, doesn't, it definitely doesn't solve it. Um, one must believe that everything that is, is divine. So it's kind of like, if you don't like it, if you aren't cool with the state of the world and the way things are going, then sorry, but that's just too bad. <laughs> now that's, I'm, I'm now again, listen, I know I'm doing a broad stroke here. This is all stated as simply as possible. Okay. But really it's just kind of like, get over it. If you don't like the way things are, then get over it. And then there are the academics, the philosophers or for our sake, the academics as we're referring to them. Um, 
the academics would say that the gods may exist, like that's possible, but we're not really sure about them. So we'll just keep this old religion thing going just in case, you know, that, that is, I guess that's to say we will pretend and we'll play the part, but we don't believe any of it. We'll say that God is present. Sure. But we don't really think that that kind of makes sense. Hopefully you're catching on. So that's the Epicureans, the Stoics and the academics. Now, Paul, according to Luke here is going to address all three when he is taken to this place known as the Areopagus, which, by the way, the Areopagus is a court whose sole purpose is to establish true justice. Now, here's a tidbit um, more about the Areopagus for your further understanding. Plus, you know, I, I just think it's important to the story and it gives you a lot of context and background. Maybe you'll kind of pick up on the scene here, hopefully you can start to picture yourself in this setting. So we're in Athens. Paul's talking to all these different people about the risen Messiah, aka Jesus of Nazareth. And he's taken to a court. If you can picture, you know, columns, right? You can picture like the Greek ruins. Um, you know, this is kind of the setting Paul's in. Uh, and he's taken to this court known as the Areopagus, whose sole purpose is to establish true justice. So here's a little bit more about the Areopagus. There was this Greek play known as Eumenides, Eumenides. And within it, there is a scene where the court of the Areopagus is formed. And the Greek god Apollo, who is the son of Zeus and Leto, or Leto, just depending on how you want to pronounce that, um, Apollo says that when a man has died and his blood is spilt on the ground, there is no resurrection. Hopefully you're kind of starting to see why this context is important. Areopagus is formed in this Greek play known as Eumenides in a scene where the Greek god Apollo is talking about how when a man dies and his blood is spilt on the ground, there is no resurrection. So let's go back to the story. Paul is taken to the Areopagus and he's placed before this court whose sole purpose is to establish true justice and was formed with the belief that there was no such thing as the resurrection from the dead. And what is Paul going to talk about? <laughs> uh, it's funny to me, and it's, it's brilliant. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, of course. <laughs> Why not? I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be taken to this court who who is established or was rather established with the belief that there is no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, whose whole purpose is to establish true justice. And they're going to ask me to speak for myself. And what do I want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about how this man named Jesus, this guy, Jesus from Nazareth, rose from the dead. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not the only one that finds this awesome or funny. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is really good. Like to me, this is what Netflix should be spending their money on. This would be an incredible series to put some time, money, some really good casting into. Uh, Paul, Paul begins, Paul begins by talking about this altar. So he's at the Areopagus and he starts talking about this altar that he came across as he was making his way around the city, as he was kind of just, you know, wasting his time, checking out the scenes. And he comes across this altar that has the inscription, quote, to an unknown God, end quote. And of course, 
Paul builds on that. He starts telling the Athenians, you know, you didn't know it when you put that inscription there, but this God is the God who made the world and everything in it. And this God who made the world and everything in it does not live in man-made shrines like you have all over your city. And he's not served by human hands because he is the giver of all life and breath. That is, he made those hands. And through one ancestor, God made the entire human race. At this point, this is where Paul, in his, his speech here, his address, starts speaking directly to the Epicureans, okay? He starts addressing the Epicurean beliefs, where because he, he, and this is how I know, because he says this, God is not far from us like they believed. He's not far. You know, you Epicureans, you think that God's like, sure, they're out there, but they're out there. Like they are far off from us. And Paul starts saying, no, 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 this God is not far off. He goes a little bit further. He says, we can actually feel after him. An even more descriptive word that some of our English translations use today is the word groped, which is another way of saying, though it does have negative connotations. And that's that's absolutely true. Another connotation of the word groped or or way of thinking about it is to search for or to touch. You can grope after this God. You can feel after him. You can search for him, touch after him. And here is the kicker. Paul says you can then find him. This God's not far off. You can feel after him and find him. To directly quote Paul here, he says to them, we can search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far off from each one of us. Yeah, he's not far off. He's not far off from each one of us. To the Stoics, Paul then shares that God is the creator of all things. For example, he created the universe, but he's not the universe like you think. He created the universe, but he's not the universe. The universe is part of this God's creation. He created trees, but he's not a tree. He is not found in gold or silver or stone or in statues or sculptures made by human beings. And then he addresses the academics as he continues on in this address. Paul notes that God has overlooked this time of human ignorance of, you know, not really believing, but just in case it is, we will follow the rituals and play religion. No, no, no. Paul says he is, this God has overlooked all that, all that ignorance. But now, as Paul loves to say, God is sorting out everything and making all things right. How do we know? Because here's the main thing. God has done all of this through a man that he appointed Jesus, and the assurance God gives all people is that he has raised him from the dead. See, the resurrection tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, and therefore that he is not, or he is the one through whom God is making everything right at last. Paul isn't preaching about some foreign god or goddess. He's telling them, he's telling the Athenians and everyone present at the Areopagus about a god that they have hinted at worshiping the temple to an unknown God, right? They've hinted at worshiping this God, that their own poets have even touched on this God. The the signposts they have all over their cities and their societies, but they all fell short. They got close, but they fell short. They stopped too soon. Paul is giving them a story that picks up where theirs left off. And he makes sense of it in a way that they could not even imagine beforehand. 
See, Paul wants the Athenians to understand that this one true God can be sought after and found. He can be felt and known. He's not far from any one of us. This God is closer than we could ever have imagined. This God has drawn near to us, is present with us. This is the God in whom we live and move and have our being, as Paul would say, quoting the poets of Athens. (laughs) This is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. So if we're honest, which I think a lot of us like to be honest, right? If we're honest, I think we could find ourselves at times in the place of the Epicureans, maybe believing that, sure, yeah, there's a God, but he's not present with us. He's off somewhere else. He's far away. He's probably not even all that concerned with my life. Or maybe at times we find ourselves with the Stoic saying, of course God is real because God is everything. And that all sounds really good until, you know, life happens, until we interact with death or some kind of loss or pain or some kind of suffering or disagreements or divisions, the problem of evil, then what? Or maybe we find ourselves with, you know, the quote unquote academics, you know, saying things like, well, I don't know if any of this is real, but I'll at least go to church and say the prayer and be nice to people because, you know, this, this whole thing is about being nice, right? I'll at least do all those things because in the off chance that this is all real, well, I want to have at least looked like I believed. And I think what Paul is trying to get at here is God has been here all along, but you didn't know it. The Athenians, Paul would even point out, are extremely religious, extremely religious in every way but they were missing God. Even more, they were missing God's very presence that was with them. And we, like the Athenians, might find ourselves worshiping all sorts of things, all sorts of things that are not God, whether it be our work, our projected image that we want others to see, our football team, money, sex, or the image of God that we have created ourselves, you know, the kind of God who fits all of our neat and tidy boxes, who would vote like we do and hang out with the people that we do, who comes out when we need him for something, you know, that genie kind of God or like a Santa Claus in the sky. And in doing so, we've completely missed the one true God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, who does not live in shrines served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals, that is you and me, life and breath and all things from One ancestor, this God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for him, that they would search for this God and perhaps even feel for him and then find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we do live and we do move and we do have our being. This, according to the Apostle Paul, is the same God who calls us his offspring, his daughters and his sons made in his very image. This God, according to Paul, is not like gold or silver or stone he, or an image formed by the art and imagination of humans. No, no, no. This is a very different God. 
a God that's more real than what we could make with our hands. I mean, he created our hands. <laughs> Paul goes on to say that this God has overlooked the times of human ignorance and commands all people everywhere to repent. That is the Greek term meta, metanoeo there. Uh, that is to change their mind and their way of living because God has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, a.k.a. Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is Paul's message at the Areopagus. This is Paul's message to the Athenians. This is, I would say, Paul's message that I'm taking from here for us today. <laughs> the Athenians had idols everywhere. Temples to all kinds of gods and goddesses were all over the place. Um, did you take Greek mythology? I did or at least we spent some time talking about it in school, like elementary school or something. And the stories are wonderful. I remember that. They were they were super fun to read about and interesting. And um, I had fun learning about them. And you might even remember how these gods and goddesses were portrayed. You might even remember just how many of them there were. The problem, as Paul is able to see, is that the God revealed in the persons of in the person of Jesus Christ remained unknown to them. And listen, I, I know... This is true for us even today. We don't we might not have temples to various gods and goddesses, but we do. The shopping mall can be a temple. The football stadium can be a temple. We even joke about it and call it as such, don't we? <laughs> we've made our own idols. We've made various gods and goddesses that we've spent our money on. We've given our time to, and not all of them are necessarily bad, but once they become that idol, I know you know what I mean. And this isn't a, this isn't a finger wagging thing. We all do it. We all do it. So we might have, we might not have, you know, statues to Greek gods and goddesses everywhere, but we have different statues for sure. And Paul is saying here, look, look. You have all these temples, you have all these statues, you have all these idols. But look at this one. To an unknown God, says the inscription. And Paul's a preacher. I mean, think about it. Do you think he's just gonna he's just gonna let that one sit there? <laughs> no, this is this is like fuel to the flame. Paul takes it and runs with it. This God you worship as unknown, Paul says, let me tell you about him. Friends, we do not worship an unknown God. Maybe let me say it another way. We worship a God who desires nothing more than to be known. God is present among us now. May we recognize God's presence. God is not off somewhere else, but closer to, the, to you than you could fathom. God is not everything. God made all things and is revealing himself through all that he has made. God is not everything, but God is the maker of everything. God is not nice, or rather, God is not a nice thought or a religion to practice. God became incarnate among us, revealing exactly who he is, displaying his perfect love for us on a cross, resurrected from the dead that we might one day as well, and ascended into heaven that he might be forever present with us by the Spirit. So friends, seek God out. 
Look everywhere for him. Jesus would say like this, seek first the kingdom of God. But beware. Beware. (laughs) I love saying it this way. You just might find him. For indeed, he is not far off from any of us. Yeah. He's not far off from any of us. Grace and peace.